So we're going to keep going in our series that we started uh, last week. Was it last week we started this series? I think it was. It was. So, all right. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm struggling with my technology here. There, I got it. Okay. So um, we started working through the, the little letter that Paul wrote that we call First Thessalonians. It's called First Thessalonians because it's the first letter he wrote to the Thessalonians. <laughs> Brilliant, huh? And so, anyway, he, he writes this letter to this church in Thessalonica, which was a city in Greece. And we talked about last week that this was a church that uh, almost immediately after the gospel came to them, they come, come, came under some pretty serious attack. Uh, a lot of persecution, people in the congregation being beaten up and um, um, jailed for their faith, and, and it was starting to get even worse. And it got so bad that Paul and his partner Silas had to, like, flee the city. The church was like, you guys got to get out of here. They're looking for you. It's going to go bad for you. They're going to you know, take your life probably. We, we, we can handle a little jail time, but it's going to be worse for you. And so Paul and Silas, you know, as bad as they hated to do it because they loved this church so much, they took off. They, you know, and so they start working through other areas of Greece. And if you, you can read about this whole story actually in, in uh, Acts, Acts chapter 17. And it's in that same story that at, when, when P- Paul and Silas leave Thessalonica, they flee Thessalonica, they head on down to, uh, to Athens, and that's where Paul has his whole uh, Acropolis experience, Mars Hill experience, where he, he, uh, he's looking at all the people and all the philosophers and things like that, and he's up on the Acropolis where they worship all these different gods, <coughs> and um, they've got all these statues built to different gods, and, and, uh, and then there's one statue, like the, the Greeks were so uh, nervous about offending a god, that they even built a statue that was just marked to the unknown god, right? And Paul sees an opening, and he's like, hey, let me tell you about your unknown god. I happen to know him. I'll even give you his name, right? That sort of thing. And, 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 uh, and so some people, a few people were convinced, and a few people were like, um, I got to think on this. Let's talk, let's talk again. And then a, you know, a bunch more were like, yeah, you're crazy, and, and didn't believe at all, right? And so we live in a very similar society today where, you know, we are kind of now post-Christian America. I mean, used to, there was, even if, even if everybody, it's not like, now when we talk about Christian America, it's not like everybody in the nation back in the day was Christians. That's not the way that thing worked. It was just that they were all kind of morally on the same page. They just kind of all kind of embraced the Judeo-Christian ethic Right, and so they called the same things wrong. They called the same things good, and now we live in this very uh, unintentionally polytheistic society that that worships anything and everything. Sometimes they're worshiping other gods. Sometimes they're their own god. Sometimes they're worshiping, you know, their careers or whatever. It could be any number of things. But we live in this society now that is very post-Christian. We don't all agree and call the same things good and the same things bad, and or, or, or you know, or the same things sin. And so it's just all messed up. And so we actually are are kind of where Paul was in this period of time in his life, where he's talking to these people who are who are just, you know, they're worshiping anything and everything. And, and when we give the gospel call, we're not necessarily seeing thousands upon thousands respond like Peter did in the very beginning of the church, you know, in Jerusalem. No, instead we're seeing a few that go, I'm in. And we're seeing a few that go, I don't know about that, let me think about that. And then we're seeing more that go, that's nah, not for me, right? And so we're kind of on the same, same ground as Paul was in that area 
But for whatever reason, in this church in Thessalonica, man, the gospel with this group of people that he reached out to, it just took root. And not just like, wow, you know, it wasn't like they were just impressed with the message. Like it really got a hold of their lives to where these brand new Christians were willing to go to jail and be beaten up for their faith. That's some pretty serious faith, right? That's serious. Let me get a drink here. And so Paul, being concerned with them as kind of new Christians, Christians that he loved a lot, he writes this letter because he, he and that's why we call this, this series Hold Fast. He's trying to encourage them, like, don't give up. Don't give I know we can't be there with you. I wish we could be there, like, pastoring you more directly. But don't give up. Like, keep the faith, right? And so last week we kind of started off, and he was just, like, just thanking them that they were such an amazing group of believers, such a great church already in their young history. And then we, we move into chapter 2 this week, and, and, and this week he starts, he's kind of encouraging them to kind of keep it real. Like, like, don't fall into fakeness. Like, I don't know if there's anything that you're so passionate about in your life that you can, like, immediately spot a fake with. I don't know if you have anything like that. For me, it's cigars. Like, like, like so, so, since, so with, with cigars, I don't know if you're aware. I'm going to give you a little cigar lesson this morning. So with cigars, uh, especially since the market of Cuba has, has opened up more and that sort of thing, the market is just flooded with fakes, just absolutely flooded with fakes. And if you know what you're looking for, if you've kind of been educated on this, you can spot a fake super easily. And I've had, you know, some, some, some gifts given to me where I'm looking at it going, I'm not so sure about this one, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, and so I, I've got to where if somebody hands me, hey, I got this good Cuban for you, I can look at it and go, thank you. And then secretly in my head going, no, you don't right? <laughs> that sort of thing. And so like, it's, it's, that, it's that sort of thing. Maybe your thing is like handbags. You know, the market is just flooded with like fake handbags or whatever, and you, you know how to spot the real deal off the street, and, and chances are if it's off the street, you've already spotted it, that sort of thing, you know, that, right? And, or, or, you know, it could be anything. Maybe it's just, maybe you're just a person who can spot a fake person from a mile away. Like you, you just, when you get around some, somebody that it, man, your, your spidey senses go off, and you're just like, I don't know about this guy. I don't know about this girl. Like, it's just like there's something off. Like, it's a little bit too put together for my taste, and something, something's off there about this person. Maybe you're, you're just one of the, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're that person that is, like, super trusting, and you need people. You have people in your life constantly telling you, I don't know about this person. And you're like, what? Why? They seem perfectly great. And then down the road, you're like, wow, you could not have been more right. You know, that sort of thing. We also live in this world where uh, I think people can spot fakeness in church or, or just a fake church from a mile away. And this is tricky for us as Christians because it, for those of us in the room who have been Christians for multiple decades, kind of raised up in church, we were raised in the waters of fakeness. That fakeness was the air that we breathed. I, I'm a Bible Belt uh, kid, and, and, and growing up in the Bible Belt, I'm telling you, it's not that all the Christians in the Bible Belt are fake. It's just... They, have, they are so inauthentic oftentimes. I'm, I'm generalizing. I get that. Oftentimes so inauthentic in the way they do church life that they don't even realize 
like they wouldn't recognize authentic if it hit them in the face. And, and in fact, it would sometimes authentic is offensive to them because they've just swam in the waters of fake for so long. And, and, and I get it. I get it. When you get around church people and your life is inside and outside all screwed up and you're struggling through a thousand different things in your life and you're trying so hard to keep, keep it looking like your marriage is successful when you know good and well this, this could go horribly wrong at any minute or, or you, know, you want to look like you're the best mom or best dad in the world and, and raising your kids up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and you're, you're more afraid of them than they are of God and you know whatever. And so like, I, I get the desire to put the mask on and go, it's just, let's just pretend like everything's okay. And one of the things I have really come to get, <laughs> there's, your, there's your alarm. Um, one of the things that I've really come to admire and appreciate about Living Hope Church is that level of authentic, authenticity that exists here that, that I haven't experienced in very many other places. And for those of you who have been around here very long, can probably say um, you haven't experienced it in very many other places either. Growing up in that as a Bible Belt kid and, and just kind of being used to fakeness, when you live in a fake church where everybody pretends everything's okay, you don't have any sin problems. No sin problems. It's great. Nobody's got any issues. Everything's perfect. They've got holiness figured out. They've got it locked down, right? So, you know, except they don't, right? And when I moved out here to Living Hope, one of the things that I was blown away by, I remember talking to Jamie, I was like, man, we got a church full of sinners. <laughs> and, and, and all churches are churches full of sinners, but I, it was so refreshing for people to, like, they, 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 you know, I'd get calls. I still get these calls. I'd get calls, hey, Jeff, I need to sit down and talk with you. Could I talk with you? And then, and then sitting across the table from somebody and and then just come spilling out this very confessional moments of, dude, I'm struggling here. I'm really falling apart. And it might be something deeply personal, the kind of stuff we're not used to confessing to one another, right? And I remember just feeling, first of all, you know, I, I, whenever I hear those stories, I'm always heartbroken for the person who's across the table because it's like, I hate, I hate that you're, it's like one of your kids, you know, when you're, one of your kids is struggling with something, you hate that they're going through that, right? And so there, there's that level, but then there's also, also like one of your kids, this deep appreciation that, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful you felt safe enough to come and talk to me about this. Like you felt like this was a safe enough environment that you could lay it all out on the line and just kind of be yourself. And I think part of that is as leaders in this church, uh, whether it's me and the other pastoral staff or the elders you know, that are in the church, um, we honestly work at living kind of confessional lives in front of you. Like, I, I hope you have never got the sense that Jeff has it all figured out and he's got this holiness thing locked down because you're brand new, if that's what you think. Like, you're, you're, you're brand spanking new. That, 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 new <laughs> that new pastor smell is getting ready to wear off real quick. <laughs> There's an old pastor smell. <laughs> Right? So, um, I just, like, I can't, I know for me, I just can't do it any other way. I can't do it any other, like, for me to get up in front of you all and 
and present somebody some fake image of somebody that I'm not, it's so like offensive to my sensibilities. I can't, I just can't do it. There's been times I've called, you know, a Phil or a Matt or just whipped out a video for you guys to watch on a Sunday morning because my life was not matching up with the sermon I was supposed to preach that morning. Where it was, it's usually always around marriage. <laughs> Every time I'm supposed to preach a marriage sermon, it's like, okay, this is going to be a rough week. And, and, and I just, the thought of me, you know, sitting up here, standing up here, advising you all how to do godly biblical marriage with my wife sitting out there looking at me like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just can't do that. I can't do that, right? And so, so, I mean, we try to live these lives in front of you that are like, that give you peeks into the things that we're struggling with as well, right? And so, Paul, in this second chapter, he kind of opens up with this, and he says, uh, you know, he, he, he basically is encouraging them to keep it real. So go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. <coughs> I'm sorry about that. <coughs> Excuse me. What do you drink when you're choking on water? <coughs> All right. So here we go. He says this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. <coughs> but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So here he he's, he's starts off and he's like, you guys know, we were telling you about how we came to you from the city of Philippi. And when we were there, which is where the letter of Philippians comes from, when, when it was one of the worst experiences Paul had been through in his church starting, uh, you know, uh, career, where he got there and was he, he spent a big amount of time in prison uh, and forgotten uh, and, and really being mistreated, mistreated by his jailers and mistreated by the churches that he loved. Like it was a hard, hard, you know, like one of the one of those experiences that you go through, like Paul in another letter said when he was going through that, I, we, we despaired of our own lives. This is the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote a good half of the New Testament, and he's saying, this thing was so rough, like I was questioning whether I should stay alive or not. Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. Just, just raise your heart. Anybody ever been through a situation where you're like, yeah, I've been there. I've been there. Like, and, and, and so Paul goes through, so here, and here's the thing, when most of us go through like really, really like gut-wrenching situations like that, our response is to go, wow, I'm not going to walk that path again, right? I'm going to stay away from that. I've learned my lesson here. I know what I'd like and what I don't like, and you know, I'm not going to do that again, right? Paul's response was, let's just get back up on the horse, let's go start another church. Let's go to another city. He's like, even though I had gone through that, even though that, like I came to you and, and just dove right in, we had, he, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, not to please man but to please God who tests our heart. Verse 5. 
For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. I love that imagery where, where, where Paul's like, like my attitude towards you and the rest of my team that was with me is we were like nursing mothers. We were like mothers to you. you know, mothers who just like they get how to put the needs of their children before their own needs. They, it, like it, 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 to, for a mother not to put, like a, a, a picture for a second, a mother who, who uses her kids for her own gain, who uses her kids at, for only, for, who, who only appreciates and loves them for what she can get out of them, um, how they can serve her or how they can make her a buck or how they, whatever. Like, like that kind of mother, that's, that's why Dr. Phil has a show, right? That's why. You're that kind of mother, guess what? You're going to be in the hot seat on the Dr. Phil show. That's what that looks like. And we're all sitting back going, oh my gosh, who does that? Who does that? And Paul says, this is the way I, I was with you. Like, I wasn't looking to get anything from you. I, I didn't only just bring you the gospel. I brought you myself. I handed myself over to you. I, I served you even with my life. I opened up my life and served you generously that way. Like a, like a mother caring for a child. It's beautiful, beautiful image. Then he goes on in verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, you believers. For you know how, like a father, here we go, like a father, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So he starts off, he's like, I came to you like a mother. Now he's like, I came to you like a father, challenging you, pushing you forward to greater things, making you believe you could, be, you could accomplish more than you think you can accomplish, making you believe the power of God dwells in you, and you can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength, like a good father. That's the that's you know, same thing like with the mother example, like with the father. Like one of the things I've learned over the years with, with all of my, uh, you know, whole football teams worth of kids um, is that I have, a, as a father, an incredible amount of influence and, and power with my kids to build them up and make them believe they are able to accomplish more than they think they're able to accomplish. There is nothing, and I can look back on my own father for this example too, there is nothing that builds up um, confidence in a kid as much as a, a father who is proud of that kid and tells that kid so. I, I, I try not to miss too many opportunities to tell my kids how proud I am of them. I want them to hear that. I want them to hear that. I also try not to miss too many opportunities to challenge them towards more. Not in a way that's, that's, that's like, oh, you know, constantly beating them up or whatever, but just in a way to go, 
hey, have you thought about trying this? And like encourage them to stretch a little bit and that sort of thing. And, and then when they accomplish something they didn't think they were able to accomplish, be like, man, I'm really proud of you for that. And I, I, love, I love that. He, Paul's like, this is what we did with you too. We cared for you selflessly like a mother. We, we, we encouraged you on to greater things like a father. This wasn't for us. It wasn't for us at all. And Paul uses that example of, and this was Paul's pattern. Paul would go into a, a, a church situation, plant a church, and what he would do is he wouldn't take a salary. He, he, he um, uh, was self-supporting. He was a tent maker by trade, and so he would do his tent maker thing and, and make his money that way and then do the church work in addition to that. He would not take a salary in any church that he was planting, but as he would leave that church, he would tell those churches, now, as I leave and you guys embrace the authority of new pastors, new elders, whatever, um, be generous. Make sure that their needs are cared for. Those people who, who you've set aside to teach and lead you well, that sort of thing, make sure that you all are providing for them, sharing with them from, from what you have as well. And this is why he did And the reason he set himself as a, at a different standard was he's going into foreign land foreign gods, foreign ideologies. He didn't want anybody to think, I'm only doing this for a buck, right? But as he left, he's like, take care of your pastors. Take care of your pastors. Really a beautiful model that he kind of developed that way. Now, this is the big point. One of the big points I want to bring out today is this, that spiritual parents are not paid to be spiritual parents. Spiritual parents aren't paid to be spiritual parents. Now, I'm going to stop by this, that we have this this kind of thinking in a lot of church life that says um, um, that the pastors are the spiritual parents. Only the pastors, only those who are paid vocationally for the ministry that they do can reach the highest form of discipleship. And as we've talked about here over and over and over again, that is just simply not true. It's just not true. There's nothing inherently more spiritual about me than there is about any of you. We all have the ability to mature in our faith to the point of being a disciple who goes and makes disciples. Every single one of disciple making is not the job of the clergy. That's not how that works. It's the job of all of us as we mature and grow into our faith. And so spiritual parents aren't paid to be spiritual parents. And as a church, what we have uh, in leadership is 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 spiritual parents who hold these leadership roles, some of them paid, some of them not. And, and we also have amongst the congregation many spiritual parents who, who parent and disciple people in your life and in your, in your workplaces and at school and in your growth groups and whatever the case may be. We have all that. And, and, and so, but spiritual parents, like, you don't, I was, let me put it this way. Living Hope Church does not pay me to preach. I preach for free. Now, don't tell the elders that. <laughs> but I preach for free. I would do this if there was no paycheck. I'm paid for everything that comes Monday through Saturday. I'm paid for, for all the other tasks and jobs I do to, uh, to, to lead this church. Uh, Michael Mappily, we do not pay him to sing and play guitar, and lead you in worship. He does that for free. He was doing it for free. 
He, you don't have to pay him to do that. That's his heart's cry. That's his, God's calling on his life. Michael's going to be a worship leader whether he's getting a paycheck or not. That's who God created him to be. We pay him to lead that team well and to deal with all the other issues and technology and equipment and, and, and you know, personality issues and whatever else that might come in his leadership. But when it comes to the callings on our life, you don't pay me for my calling. Like, I do that for free. I do that. I'm going to preach. You guys take my preaching responsibility away from me. Don't worry about me. I will find a place to preach. Because that's how God has called me. There are ministries that you all are in. You don't, you're not looking for a buck out of those ministries. You do those ministries because God has called you to that thing, and you can't not do that, right? And so that's the way, that, that's the way all that works. Spiritual parents, once you, once you kind of get to that point to where you're, like you're living on mission for Christ at all time, every relationship, every person you meet is a potential person that God is trying to introduce you to, to lead into a relationship to Christ. When you, be, when you settle into that rhythm of life, you don't do that for a dollar. You don't do that for a dollar. You do that because you can't not do that. That's the Holy Spirit. That's just how the Holy Spirit's coming out of you. Like, that's just how that works. And it's part of this kind of authentic thing that we try to do in church life and that Paul is encouraging here. I think this is kind of his subtle way of reminding the church that, that what he demonstrated to them, the spiritual maturity that he demonstrated to them, can be grasped by any of them. They don't have to be an apostle. They don't have to be the pastor. They don't have to be any of that. The same Holy Spirit that works in Paul is at work in me as it work in you. The same Holy Spirit. So that's the way that looks. Now look what he says next. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 13. Here we go. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. In other other words, Israel. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. He's like, you guys were able to distinguish relatively quickly in your faith, able to, to distinguish that what we were telling you was not coming just as words of men. This was not just us making stuff up and trying to feed you a line. That it was the word of God that had come to you. And the, the last point I want to hit today is this. that I want to encourage you to grow to know what is the word of God and the word of people. Grow to tell the difference between what is the word of God and the word of people. Now when we talk word of God, most often what we think of when we hear that phrase, the word of God, we tend to think of the Bible the scriptures. But the way these people who, who were existing in the Christian faith before they had a Bible all bound together with 66 books and everything else, 
the way they thought about the Word of God was not just simply the Scriptures. When they thought about the Word of God, they were, thought, they were thinking about how was God moving amongst them? What was He saying to them? And that might be through the Scriptures, and it might be through their pastors, and it might be just through the, the Holy Spirit in them speaking to them. The Word of God was living and active, able to divide the soul the, the, like, like, like it was living and active. And then when they talked about the living and active Word of God, they weren't just talking about the 66 books of the Bible that we bind all up in a nice leather, leather case. They were just talking about the Holy Spirit, God working in and through them, sometimes in and through them directly, sometimes in and through another leader or, or, or a fellow believer who might speak into their life, sometimes through those scriptures. But the Word of God was, was amongst them. And they learned to distinguish what was the word of God? And like when basically what Paul is saying, pre having scripture, pre having the New Testament, because he was still writing it, right? He's like, I stood before you, and you were able to tell that my words weren't just my words. That was the word of God that had come to you. It was the word of God that had come to you. Now, here's the thing about the, the Christian life is that there are there's no shortage of voices. <laughs> There's no shortage of voices. And now, more than any other time in human history, there is no shortage of voices. Like, you can, used to, you know, back in the day, you picked a church and, and, and you know, a pastor, right? And that was your teaching. That was your guy. That was, that was, your, that was the person who was going to bring you the word week in, week out. You didn't get to hear what you know, Pastor Joe down the street was saying. You didn't get to hear what Pastor Bob in Atlanta was saying. You didn't get to hear, like, none of that. You just, you had your church, your pastor, that was the teaching that you submitted yourself to and that you decided you would listen to for, for the rest of your life, right? Nowadays, I can listen to almost any sermon in any church in the world. You know how crazy that is? How insane, I mean, the times that we live in, that is absolutely insane. I could pick a church right now in Indonesia and listen to a sermon from there if I could understand it, right? Like I, anywhere in the world I could listen. There's no shortage of voices. There's no shortage of people writing books. There's no shortage of conferences where you can go hear speakers speak and, and all of that. Let me tell you what there is a shortage of. There's a, uh, there is a shortage of discerning followers of Christ who can tell the difference between a person is speaking to them and God is speaking to them. There is a shortage of that. And I get it. It's so, some, some people are just charismatic, and I don't mean that in the theological sense. They're just charismatic type personalities. They can draw you in to, uh, to a conversation, draw you into a, a talk or a sermon or whatever, and to where they're just so good at it, you can hang on their every word. And when you get around somebody like that, it's really easy to just kind of swallow everything they say, hook, line, and sinker, right? But the problem with that is, is that not all who speak are necessarily speaking the Word of God. Not all who speak are necessarily speaking the Word. And we need to develop that ability, like we talked about in the beginning, to kind of spot a fake, to be educated enough about the Word of God, to be educated enough about the things of God, to be educated enough about who Christ is and what kind of things were, was he passionate about and what were important to him, to build up 
this ability to kind of know God and get a sense of when the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts and when what is being said lines up with the scriptures as well, to develop that sense in us so much that almost immediately, if somebody goes off track of the gospel, our spidey senses go off and we're like, that didn't sound quite right. That didn't sound quite right. And the ability to kind of call into question even a person out of love and go, hey, you said this. I'm not sure if you actually meant that, uh, but you know, for my own benefit, would you explain that? Many, many of you have come to me that way from time to time because I'm up here every single week, you know, 40, 45 minutes at a time, and occasionally things come out that I didn't, just did not intend them to come out the way I, you know, they came out different than I intended them to come out. It's just part of speaking publicly and not using notes. <laughs> and so sometimes that happens. And so uh, there have been times you've got, you guys have come to me and go, hey, man, you said this. And I'm kind of confused because doesn't the Bible say this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I did say it that way. But I, what I was actually trying to say was this. And sorry about, you know, so it's like we have a conversation about that. And, and, and you guys are, are very gracious towards me. And I appreciate that, right? But to have the ability to, to kind of look at even some of the most popular speakers in, in the church world, Christian rock stars, so to speak, who are speaking and writing books and, and be able to kind of discern what they say and go, you know what, as effectively as that person says this, I still don't see that in Scripture. I mean, it sounds good. Don't get me wrong. It sounds good. It sounds like something I actually want to get behind. But is that really the life that we're being called to live? Like not everybody, what, what, did, what is it, you know, the scripture says, not everybody who cried, cries Lord, Lord is actually on my team, is my version, right? Right? Not everybody who cries out Lord, Lord is actually crying out Lord, Lord. Sometimes they're just saying words. It's, when you've spoken in front of a crowd for enough time, you begin to learn what you can say that will get the biggest response, the biggest amen, the biggest... I remember when I was a, a youth pastor... Um, it was like my first um, vocational youth pastor role at the church in, in the Bay Area. And um, they, you remember last week we talked about revival meetings and stuff like that? Well, they would have their revival meetings, and they brought out these two older guys from, from the East that were high up in the denomination, you know, kind of position, had positions in the denomination, and they were twins. And they were, everybody in the denomination loved them and just thought they were great and really, you know, they were funny and, and, and just had a great reputation. So they brought these guys out for a revival week. And my job all week long as youth pastor was to take them golfing every day. And so, so I was like, okay, so a tough job, but I'll do it. And, and so we went out golfing. Now these guys, I don't know how they had time to pastors because they could have played the senior PGA so easily. Like, they were amazing golfers. And as twins, they were like, uh, you know, in their upper 60s. And they would tee off, and every tee shot, their balls would land like three feet from each other. Like, just, it was unbelievable, straight down the fairway and unbelievable, right? And as we were playing golf, we, that actually has nothing to do with the story. But actually, when, when, as we were playing golf, we would have conversations about church and just kind of the trends that churches were going through and what kind of things were happening. And, and, uh, and man, I remember we would, we would just talk about just new things that we were wanting to try at the church. And, you know, in an older church, you get resistance on new things sometimes. And, and they were both like, yeah, that's great that you're doing that. And, man, keep that up. That's the direction things that need to go, yada, yada, yada. And then we would go back to church that, that night for the revival meeting. And they would preach the exact opposite of that conversation because it got the big amen. 
because it got the response that they were looking for. I mean, literally the exact, like they would tear down the very methods that they were building me up for earlier in the day because it would get the response that they were looking for. And so it's easy to do that. But just because something kind of tickles your personality and, and, you know what I appreciate so much? I appreciate it when I'm so gung-ho about something and I'm, I'm all excited about an idea or a plan and somebody else comes alongside of me and goes, I know you're really excited about this and I don't want to crush your spirit here, but, you know, the Bible actually says this. Have you thought, have you thought about that, how that's going to look? And in that moment, I'm like, dang it. <laughs> and I'm also like, you're right. You know what I'm saying? Whereas, whereas I, I appreciate that so much. Sometimes I need, sometimes we get so, like our heads so caught up into our plans and into our ideas and our methods and our personalities and whatever else that we lose track of the core of what the gospel is about. And we need good, discerning people who will come around us and go, I love you. You know, I love you. But let's talk about this because God's word actually says this and you're going this way. And there might be some conflict there. Like, I, I love that and appreciate it so much. I need that. I need, I need that. But what I need more is, is to be surrounded by a family of believers who has the ability to keep it real and discern what is the word of God and the word of man. I need that. You need that. You need people in your life that can do that. Some of you are those people. Some of you are married to those people. Some of you are starting to develop that sense. And, and this comes through, first of all, like getting yourself um, consistently and regularly under solid teaching. Solid teaching. Teaching that you trust. Teaching that you really trust. To Like when this, when this person brings the word, I can trust that they have put in the due diligence to make sure it's being brought, to, brought accurately in a way that is actually in agreement with the Word, in agreement with the Spirit of Christ. Like, you need to submit yourself to that regular teaching. And then you also need to be, this is, this is one of the best reasons for you to be regularly in your Bible. Because if the Bible is, is God's message to us to help us get to know Him and who he, what He's all about and who He is, then it's ridiculous for us to just completely ignore that book. Because then, like, then you have people saying things that are just ridiculous, and you just agree with it because it sounds good. Somebody says, well, you know, the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. And you're like, yeah. And then somebody else goes, yeah, that's actually not in the Bible at all. That's not in the Bible. I think Benjamin Franklin said that, right? That's not a Bible thing. Or, you know, you know, I mean, just, you know, this stuff, you know when this stuff comes out the most? It drives me a little bit crazy, and I know this is really insensitive of me to say this, but it, when somebody dies, all kinds of crazy things come to the surface when somebody dies. When somebody dies, there is so much bad theology around death and advice around death. It is crazy. But in that moment, nobody wants to be the insensitive jerk and go, no, actually, your loved one is not an angel now, Right? <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to do that, right? But, but there's so much of that stuff. And, but we need to be a people. And I'm not encouraging you to go, you know, be a jerk when somebody dies to your, your friends. 
I'm just saying, like, like put the work in before people die and, and be a person who can distinguish truth from, you know, weird Christian urban legend to, you know, to whatever thing. And, and like, be a person who can distinguish that and keep it real. Keep it real. You know, what drives me crazy, I'm going to end with this. So many times... When, like you guys know, we're under constant criticism. You know, the church at large is under constant criticism from the world around us, uh, either making fun of the things that we believe, or making fun of the way that we act, or or you know, present Jesus to the world, or what, any number of things, the way we worship, anything. But when it comes to the criticism and the ridicule that we get for things that we believe, almost all the time those criticisms come up. And they're like, well, I can't, I can't be a Christian because I don't believe yada, yada, yada. And I, almost every single time I'm looking at the person going, um, I don't believe that either, actually. I don't believe that. I don't know who told you that, but that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not it at all. And instead, what we tend to do is we tend to kind of fall back and go, oh, I don't know if I have a good response for this person, and eh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get weird, and, and we get all scared of that conversation. When the, sometimes the easiest answer is, tell me about the God that you don't believe in, because chances are I don't believe in him either. Ch- chances are I don't, that was an Andy Stanley quote, by the way. But ch- chances are I don't believe in him either. Like, we need to be a people who are in touch with the Holy Spirit, in touch with brothers and sisters who are also in touch with the Holy Spirit, in touch with good teaching and the Word of God, the Bible in such a way that when we hear something false or when we see behavior that is false, we can, we can very quickly go, there's something off about that and help people stay on path. Now, like, I don't want to spend my whole life being like spiritual law enforcement, right? Just constantly looking to write people up. Well, you got that wrong. You know, that jerk on Facebook is like, actually... It's the truth is this and this. I looked up Snopes and blah, 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 you know that, that guy. I don't want to be that guy necessarily. Sometimes we need those guys, but I don't necessarily want to be that guy 24-7, right? But what I want to do is, is I want to, just like you would with you, the people that you love the most, your, your, your immediate family or your closest friends, to be able to have the openness with people, to, and, your, and, and especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to have a conversation that goes a little bit back and forth and, and, and pull people into the Bible and go, actually, this is what God's Word says, and maybe we should be doing this differently, and whatever. One of the most important things that we can do as a church is keep it real. Keep it real about who we are. Keep it real about what the Bible says. Keep it real about who God is. Because you know what faith crumbles the quickest? One that's built on lies. One that's built on lies. So, like, make some intentional decisions in your life to where you can go, you know, I, I, wanna, I do want to keep it real. I do want to go the distance in my faith. I do want to be able to build up people around me and be built up by people around me. So I'm going to do some things to make sure that happens. Maybe that's joining a growth group. So you're regularly, weekly around other people and being encouraged by one another and sharpened by one another. Maybe it's 
I mean, any number of things. Maybe it's committing to a, a more regular time in the Word or a re- more regular time in prayer. Um, or, or just like we've talked about earlier in the year, committing that, hey, every time I'm in town, I'm going to be here at Living Hope Church. I'm going to be here. Whatever that looks like, build some habits up in your life so you can sharpen those senses because we are constantly bombarded by really charismatic people who are preaching really unbiblical things. Constantly. Like, like so many books in your Christian bookstore are so outlandish and just like, oh my gosh, can't believe that was even allowed to go on a page, right? That, that stuff is out there, and we need to be a people who can go, word of God, word of man, and I know the difference, and I know the difference, amen? Let's do that, all right? Let's pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, I pray right now that you would indeed uh, give us the daily bread of your word. God, uh, just put within us a craving for your word that we just can't be away from it. And whether that word is coming from time that we spend in prayer or the time that we spend spend in the Bible with you or just the time under other really good teachers or, or brothers and sisters who we know will build us up and point us toward you. God, give us a hunger for the things of you. Give us a hunger to see you move in um, um, among our lives. God, I pray also that you would deliver us from the evil that is false teaching. Even if it's well-intentioned, God, that we would be able to to look at it and go, yeah, that I know you what you were trying to say, but I also know what God's word says. And that we would encourage each other, admonish one another in love and build each other, make make each other stronger, sharpen each other in those ways. So God, as we try our best to be a church that does keep it real, God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to pull the masks off that we're tempted to wear the perfect marriage mask, the perfect children mask, the perfect spiritual life mask, all of those things that we feel pressure to put on. God, I pray that Living Hope would be an environment where we go, yeah, I'm going to check my mask at the door. I know I can be myself here. This is a safe place. So God, give us the ability to, to lead in that way, to foster that kind of environment. And we love you and we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. And all God's people said amen. 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 It's good to see you guys this week. We'll see you next week. Take care.